Okay, so uh, a lot of things going on, but what are we going to do? Well, as everybody's getting back in town, as people are still stuck in their beds because it was too cold to get out, what we're going to do, um, we're going to wrap up the Judges Galatians series, and then we're going to move into a Bible basic series. Uh, we're going to tackle uh, major doctrines, major uh, life-transforming truths about the Bible, even going into the Trinity. I mean, we're going to hit everything in the spring. I don't know how long it'll last, but we're going to start it, and we'll see how long it goes, and then figure out what we do from there. Because uh, we, we walk in the Spirit here. The Spirit directs us. We know that that's the next one. What's next? I don't know. Um, but today, we're going to continue our going back to Galatians. We were at Judges last week. We're going to be at Galatians this week. And then we're going to go into Samson probably for the next two Sundays. Uh, and then maybe hit the tail end of the book of Judges. It's kind of a gruesome ending. And I'm not sure all of us can handle that, really, quite frankly. There are two stories that are just like, again, what is this doing in the Bible? So I'm not sure I want to do them. But we might do them because we're committed to expository Bible preaching, preaching through books of the Bible. So let's look at what we're going to do today. Here's the question of the day to start off the new year. It's a happy thought. It's a grand thought. It's something that's just enlivening and invigorating for all of us. So I thought I would ask this question. What is the number one all-time criticism of Redeemer year after year after year for the past 20 years? <laughs> You're like, what is that? That dude's like crazy, right? So is it the doctrine? Has doctrine been the, the number one criticism over the years of Redeemer, it's doctrine. You know, words, weird words like sovereignty and uh, predestination and election. What are those words? Words like covenant and reformed and uh, Westminster Confession of Faith and Reformation and classic Protestantism. Is, is that it? Or weird names like Augustine and Luther and Calvin and Edwards and Knox. Is, is it this weird doctrine? When I... When I first came to Waco, uh, do you remember when there used to be answering machines? You remember that? We had this little office on Sanger because it was just me, and I just had an answering machine. And then my brother was starting to work at, uh, at Truett. I mean, not at Truett. He was working for RUF at Baylor. And there's this weird, we came in the room one day, and we hit the answering machine, and this was the message. It says, hello, my name is Dr. Olson. And he's one of the leading, he's probably the foremost Arminian scholar. If you don't know what that is, bless you. It's good that you don't. One of the leading scholars in the world. And he says, hello, my name is Dr. Olson. I have, I have lived in Waco for a certain amount of years, and I have turned over every rock in Waco looking for a living, breathing, self-conscious Calvinist, and I haven't found one until you showed up. <laughs> Could you come to the class and talk to us? about this weird view called Calvinism. So, of course, I did. It was a fun time. But is it the doctrine? Uh, Dr. Hannah, one of my favorite professors, mentor at Dallas Seminary, says, there, you know, Calvinism has its tulip. He loves me. And Arminianism has its daisy. He loves me. He loves me not. I mean, there's just, is it the doctrine? Is that the number one criticism of Redeemer over the past 20 years? It's strange doctrine. Oh, there's been lots of criticism about that over the years, but that's not it. Okay, so is it the leadership form? You know, the church government, Presbyterianism. What 
is Presbyterianism. I mean, Ray Biles famously said when he showed up about 20 years ago, he says, when I showed up, I couldn't even spell Presbyterian. <laughs> is that it? Is it our strange leadership form of this weird team of leaders? We've had lots of criticism about the strange leadership form, but that's not it. So is it the worship? Is it the view of worship as a divine event? In other words, that God's the major mover. He's the primary actor. He Actually, we believe that on this day, unlike any other day, is it more important for you to have a quiet time or be here on Sunday? The Bible and our tradition explicitly says here on Sunday. It's great if you want to have a quiet time. But what happens here on Sunday is a divine event that God breaks in. He's the primary mover, the primary actor in worship, not you. He's on the move. He's on the work. And so is it been these four cycles of the worship that we have up here? It's called gospel logic. You start with the supremacy of God, who God is. You move into who we are because now we have a right understanding of who we are, which is a true repentance. It's an honesty about who we are. That's why we have that confession cycle and we move into that cycle. And then we, we go to the gospel, the power of the gospel to address us. And that's where we go into preaching and the Lord's Supper. And then because... We live by grace. We're sent out into the world, and that's where God gives us this blessing and this benediction to go out into the world. That's why Luther on Sunday nights, he locked the church because he didn't want anybody coming back to church. Get out there. Is it that? Has it been that? Is it the ancient modern music where we're not just doing ancient music? We don't just live in the 1500s. But it's not just modern music. We have an ancient modern music approach? Has it been that? Is it expository Bible preaching? We're still on the worship topic. We're not just doing topical preaching. We preach through books in the Bible, and we do so longer than 15 minutes. Has that been the criticism? We take the Lord's Supper every week. Well, I can tell you there's been lots and lots of criticism over the years over our strange worship, but that's not it. Okay, so is it the mission? What is a gospel mission? I can't tell you how many people come up to me all the time and say, hey, man, this is great. So when I first planned the church, everybody wanted to know what kind of church we were going to be from all over pastors and conferences. Okay, so what kind of church are you going to be? Are you going to be a, a church that reaches a loss? And I have this, I, I'm sorry, but I just gave everybody this deer in the headlights look like, yeah, we're going to do that. Are you going to be a church that reaches the lost, evangelism, missions? Mm -hmm. Are you going to be a church that, that disciples the found and training and maturity and Bible studies? And it's like, mm -hmm. are, are you going to be a church of, is your mission small groups where you're going to be about accountability, accountable relationships? Are you going to, is your mission teaching where you're about Christian education? Is your mission experiencing God so you're going to have all this dynamic worship and aesthetic wonder and push into the arts? Or is your mission church planning, world missions? Or is your mission cultural transformation and social justice? 
over 20-something years, I've had tons of criticism about the mission of the church, the strange mission, whatever this gospel mission means. But that's not it. What is the number one all-time criticism of Redeemer year after year after year after year? Answer, the strange sanctification. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. Galatians 5, 16 through 26, 16 goes like this. But I say, walk in the spirit or walk by the spirit. Now, that was an interpretive translation by the, the, uh, the ESV. See that by, walk by? That's a, a preposition. So it could be into or for. So you could say, walk in the spirit. And what it's talking about is walk in the spirit, walk in the sphere of the spirit, walk in the power of the kingdom of the spirit, walk in the salvation or the power of the spirit. All right. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. See the desires? In the original, it's, it's singular. So it's you will not gratify or complete the desire, and it means mega desire of the flesh. And the flesh has an articulate, the flesh, it's its own power. All right, let's continue. Now, I'm going to give you in verse 17 the original language because it can get kind of confusing up here. It goes like this. So look up there and listen to me. For the flesh mega desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. That is, they are opposed to one another so that the result is you do not do the things you most want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But... The fruit, notice it's singular, it's not plural, it's not fruits. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Patience means endurance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Gentleness is humility or self-forgetfulness. Self-control, against such things there is no law. In other words, no law can produce these things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its mega desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. All right, please be seated. Lord, we thank you that there's something else besides ourselves at work here. There's someone else besides ourselves that we trust in to work. So right now we trust you to work by your spirit, to actually right now even walk in the spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this is a passage about sanctification. That's a big Bible word. It's a big doctrine, theological word. It has a long history and interpretation in the life of the church, but sanctification is the Christian life. So if you want to, like a simple answer of what is sanctification, it's the Christian life. It's how to live the Christian life. It's it's life change, how to change a life. It's being a human being, 
how to be human again. Sanctification is restoring you to being a human being as God made you. The ancient world called sanctification being holy and happy. How to be holy and happy. The modern world calls sanctification being healthy. How to be a healthy Christian. How to be a healthy church. All good language all means the same thing. Not picking one language over the other. Most Christians today (coughs) are deeply, I don't have COVID. Most Christians today are deeply confused about sanctification. And deeply discouraged about sanctification. (coughs) I do have a cold though. 99.9% of churches and church leaders today, 99.9%, I I, I would say 100%, but there's always just that chance, right? (laughs) Don't want to be too dogmatic. 99.9% of churches and church leaders today have experienced, are currently experienced, currently experiencing, or will in the near future, and then will again in the near future over and over again several times, conflict and controversy over sanctification. Most Christians today will move from church to church in search of sanctification several times. Whether they can identify that as the, the reason or not, that's what's happening. Most Christians and churches today will significantly change their view of sanctification several times. They'll change churches, they'll change denominations, they'll change theological systems, they'll change whole mindsets about how and what and what is involved in sanctification, whether they can articulate that that's what's happening or not. The book of Galatians is designed to do two things. It's written to Christians who are in trouble. It's written to churches who are in trouble. It's written to Christians who are in trouble in sanctification. It's designed to do two things. One, spare Christians and churches of all this unnecessary pain I just talked about. And the second design is to actually sanctify churches and sanctify Christians. That's the purpose of the book of Galatians. But the question is, how? That's it, right? Like if you solve like, well, how does Paul sanctify Christians and sanctify churches? How does he do it? That's that's the mystery of Galatians. So most Christians are deeply confused and deeply discouraged about sanctification. And the question is why? And this text that we just looked at says the answer is because we don't walk in the Spirit. Now, but I say walk by or walk in the Spirit. Notice Paul is not saying run by the Spirit. Notice Paul is not saying speak some weird heavenly language by the Spirit. Notice Paul is not saying surrender or yield to the Spirit. Notice Paul is not saying Activate the Holy Spirit. Tap into the Holy Spirit. But I say, walk in the Spirit. Walking is a pretty normal human activity. Right? It's it's ordinary. It's normal. It's natural. It's unspectacular walking is. I mean, there's no Olympic event for walking. And some of you right now, I know, are thinking speed walking. Exactly speed 
I mean, what is that anyway? Nobody pays money to watch somebody walk. Walking in the Bible is a metaphor for doing life. It's normal, it's ordinary, it's earthy, it's real, it's human. Paul is saying, walk around in the Spirit, do life in the Spirit, do your relationships in the Spirit, do your marriage in the Spirit, do your parenting in the Spirit, do your relational conflict in the Spirit, do your sadness in the Spirit, do your heartache in the Spirit, do your depression in the Spirit, do your suffering in the Spirit, do your work in the Spirit. Do your gifts and your talents and your abilities and your athletic abilities and your musical abilities in the Spirit. Do life in the Spirit, Paul is saying. But I say, walk in the Spirit. But what does, what does walk in the Spirit mean? What does it mean to do life in the Spirit? Answer, most Christians today are deeply confused and deeply discouraged about sanctification. Doesn't the answer depend upon your tradition? Doesn't the answer to walking in the Spirit depend upon your denomination and your theological stripe and how you interpret the Bible? Doesn't that what it depends upon? Or does it depend upon your personality? You know, you've got an introverted personality, so your sanctification is going to look more introverted. It's going to look more mental. But you're an extrovert, so you have this exterior. You have a heart personality, so it's more heart and passion. Isn't that what sanctification is dependent upon? Or is it dependent upon your preferences? You know, what you like and what you don't like. Kind of like broccoli. Or Brussels sprouts. You either like them or you don't. So you find a view, you find a, a form, you find an idea, you find worship, you find anything according to your preferences. Is that what this means? Or how about your life experiences? Doesn't sanctification depend on your life experiences like the home you grew up in, your education, your social economic status, your race, your culture? Doesn't that determine what sanctification is? Those of you that have been with us throughout the, the Judges Galatians, you've been in that series for a while, you already know the answer, don't you? You're sitting on the edge of your seat going, I know the answer. You're prodding your spouse or your child. Do you know the answer? Well, you know the answer to this. Do life in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. According to Paul, he's already been building on it for four chapters. By the time he gets here, it's just putting it into practice. Walking in the Spirit. Doing sanctification, according to Paul, is doing life, building life, doing relationships, work, everything we talked about around justification by faith. The gospel. Walk around in the gospel, not the law. Do your life in relationships in church around justification by faith, not justification by works. It's clear. Through the whole book, it's clear. He even says earlier in chapter 3, do you think that God supplies the Spirit to you by doing something or believing something? The Spirit, according to Paul, the Spirit goes wherever the gospel goes. 
The Spirit works, the Spirit moves, the Spirit sanctifies wherever justification by faith goes. The gospel, Jesus and his salvation. If this makes no sense to you, if this sounds so strange to you, then listen to what Jesus says the mission of the Holy Spirit is. He does so in John. This is what he says. The Holy Spirit will glorify me for, here's how he will do it, he will take from what is mine and declare it unto you. Now declare means two things, make clear to your mind and real to your heart. So Jesus says the mission of the Holy Spirit is to take who Jesus is and what he's done, all that is mine, Jesus and his salvation, and make it clear to your mind and real to your heart. push it deep into your bones to sanctify you and transform you with it to have you live on it as your present oxygen for doing life and parenting and marriage and football and playing the flute and preaching and loving and forgiving and trying to understand someone and get to their ideological foundations and respect them in the process and to make friends and have gospel conversations and to drink adult beverages and celebrate New Year's and get together for Christmas. It's the oxygen. It's the air we breathe. The mission of the Holy Spirit is growing you in the gospel, according to Paul, according to Galatians. So what is sanctification? What is this strange sanctification? It's gospel growth in your life. It's the infinite riches and wonders of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished that you will never, ever get to the bottom of. And it will take more than eternity to actually Get through the table of contents of plummeting that, living in that, luxuriating in that, it filling you, empowering you, changing you, reaching you, renewing you, putting you back together again. So walk in the Spirit this new year. Learn to build your messy life and your messy relationships around Jesus and his salvation. Not a technique. Not a how-to. Not something you do. Not a spiritual discipline. Not a discipleship manual. Not a secret. but the clear gospel. 99.9% of churches and church leaders have experienced, are currently experiencing, will experience in the near future, and will then experience again multiple times conflict and controversy over sanctification. Most Christians will move from church to church in search of sanctification several times. Most Christians and churches today will significantly change their view of sanctification several times. Why all this unnecessary pain? Why? The answer from this text is 
because we struggle with the flesh and we don't know what to do. In the words of Tolkien, there are two towers in this world. Two towers in this world right now. There's the tower of the flesh, the power of the flesh, the kingdom of the flesh, the reign of the flesh, the God of the flesh, and then there's the spirit. That's it. Everyone else marshals their armies under these two armies, these two towers, these two kingdoms, these two ages, these two eons, to talk like the old theologians of the past. For the flesh, verse 17, mega desires against the spirit. But notice the verb is not repeated when it talks about the spirit's relationship to the flesh. That's so important. Some translations say, oh, because it was said in the beginning, let's use it for the spirit. No. The spirit has his own dynamic power. It says the flesh mega desires. So in other words, what the flesh does, it, it just, it has a, the flesh is one big mega desire. It's not necessarily bad things, which we are going to see there are, but there's also just a lot of good things. But what happens is instead of it just being a desire, it's gone mega. It's gone epi. It's gone over. It's gone outside humanness. So the flesh mega desires against the spirit. So what does the spirit do? Well, the spirit, it just says, is against the flesh. Oh, that's interesting. That is, they are opposed to one another so that you do not do the things you most want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh. Isn't that interesting that, that Paul describes the flesh as works? It's a system of justification by works. The works, the strategies, the strategies of self-salvation, that's what the flesh is. This is what the flesh does. So you need to know the flesh only does these things. The flesh can't be fixed. The flesh can only be crucified. It can't be fixed. It can't be tweaked. It can't be counseled. It can't be cajoled. It can't be inspired. It can't be coached. It only and always does these things. So if your view of sanctification, the reason why you're having such a hard time is that you're trying to fix the flesh. That's insanity. That'll so discourage you. That'll so depress you. That's the number one cause of spiritual depression in the world right now. Guaranteed. Trying to fix your flesh. Let's keep reading. So the works of the flesh, a life of justification by works or sanctification by a justification by works are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. We could call these sins progressive sins, irreligious sins, relativistic sins. Oh, don't worry. Conservatives have their sins too. Here we go. Enmity, strife. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. That never happens in the church. We could call these religious sins, moralistic sins, conservative sins. And then there's drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I don't know who all does those. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, the Justification by works, the tower of the flesh, can never and will never achieve salvation. It can't. It's impossible. 
It can't save itself. It can't sanctify itself. It can never attain paradise. It can never give you what you want. Justification by works cannot save nor sanctify a human being. It's impossible. But, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. Notice it's the fruit of the Spirit. And it's not the fruits of the Spirit. If you have the Spirit, you have them all. You don't go, well, I've got love and now I need to work on gentleness. No, if you have the Spirit, you have all of these. Now, your personality might make you think you're more magnified in one than the other. Like introverts seem to be much more peaceful until they're pushed by their sister. And then you realize your introvert is not as godly as you thought. And your extrovert, who's so loving and so people-oriented, we can go on and on. Dr. Hannah used to say to us, and I was so glad he did, he would sit there and he's talking to a room full of pastors while we're reading Jonathan Edwards, and he leaned over to us and he says, gentlemen, you and ladies, you, you need to be very clear about this, and this is so, so important. Do not confuse personality with spirituality. Personality is not spirituality. It's not the fruit of the Spirit. It might look like it, but it's not. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, or endurance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or humility and self-forgetfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. There are two towers in this world. There are two powers, two active powers, two active ages, two active kingdoms, in this world right now. And they all have, one has its justification by works and produces all the stuff we're talking about. The other has a fruit of the Spirit. Justification by faith, justification by works, the flesh, the Spirit. That's all you got. Sanctification is not as complicated as we think. It's incredibly hard. It's impossible. Notice that only walking in the spirit or walking in the gospel has the power to deal with the flesh. Do you see that? Look at verse 16. But I say, walk by the spirit, walk in the spirit, and you will not complete the mega desire of the flesh. To complete it is to actually do it. So in other words, if the only way you're going to deal with your addictions, your struggles, the flesh that will never change that only mega desires, when you have those thoughts, those feelings, those experiences, those urges, those impulses, and it's like in your face, the Bible calls that temptation, and it's happening. The only thing to put that thing out is to walk in the gospel, according to the Bible. That's it. Not 10 steps, not try harder, not count to 10 so your anger goes away. Notice that only walking in the Spirit and walking in the gospel actually produces the fruit of the Spirit. You see this? This is incredible. So walking in the Spirit, walking in the gospel actually produces, grows, uh, makes more um, dominating in your life is the fruit of the Spirit. You get sanctified. This means personally, relationally, culturally, ideologically. But the fruit of the Spirit, you see it. This, isn't this a strange sanctification? 
the number one critique in 20 plus years of ministry is this. So walk in the spirit this new year by growing in the gospel this new year. Learn to build your messy life and messy relationships and parenting and children and friendships and work and school. Learn to build this. Learn to do it by breathing the oxygen of the gospel. Learn to build your messy life and relationship around Jesus, who he is and what he's done, a completed work that's the present power to sanctify you and to feed you and nourish you and satisfy you and thrill you and help you and deliver you and forgive you and make you feel something alive. What does this practically mean? It means this. Luther says it this way. It means to beat the truths of the gospel into your thick head and hard heart. <laughs> Don't you love Luther? You need to beat this gospel into your Thick head and hard heart. The Holy Spirit isn't commanded to walk in the Spirit. Do you see that? The text is not saying, Holy Spirit, walk in the Spirit. You're commanded to walk in the Spirit. So you've got to beat the truths of the gospel into your head and into your heart. But you must do it in a dependent way, a humble way, a prayerful way, knowing that only God's Spirit can make it clear to your minds and real to your hearts. Walking in the Spirit, you're commanded to do. Beat it into your head, into your hearts. Catechize. Do Scripture memory. Whatever it takes. Spend relaxed thinking, reading, and reflecting on the cross, on justification by faith. Read great works that spend six volumes just on those doctrines. I've read them. It'll change your life. Talk to each other. Learn the implications. What does it look like to parent by justification by faith or justification by works? Well, one parent's angry, another parent's not. That's a good start. One parent isn't completely safe and secure and not thwarted, not... Their identity is not in their kid because they're justified by faith. They're relaxed. They're firm, but they're loving. And they come alongside the kid knowing that they are just as fallen and just as broken as they are. And they need Jesus just like you need Jesus. What a radical different way to parent or teach or coach or make friends or see a parent, or see a child, or see a neighbor, or see that annoying kid in home room. You know that only the Holy Spirit can do it. So if you're, are you bored of the truths of the gospel? Do they bore you? I mean, I've heard this before. Gospel, gospel, gospel. I need more. I've never heard that before. Is the gospel-driven sanctification a strange sanctification to you? You know what the answer is? Of course it is. Of course it is. Because it takes grace to understand the gospel. It takes grace for it to become real to you. It takes grace to believe it. In other words, it takes a work of the Holy Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. 
beat it into your head, asking, asking the Holy Spirit to make it clear to your minds and real to your hearts, and real in your relationships, and real at work, and real when you're discouraged, and real when you are so overcome by a mega desire. All right, let's end. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Here's how we're going to end. This text is basically saying, open your eyes, open your ears, see, listen. Jesus is speaking you back to life right now. Here it is. The power of the gospel right now in this text is this. Jesus is saying to you, you belong to me. All that I have is now yours. So that means Jesus' crucifixion is now yours. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, the tower, the dark tower of the dark world. Jesus says, you belong to me, you do not belong to the flesh. So trust, trust, breathe in the oxygen, breathe in the power of the cross presently for you. There is something other than you out there that kills sin. And it's the work of the cross. Only the cross can touch this thing. Go into this kingdom and wreck it. If you think your effort is going to change it, you're actually adding gas to the fire, Paul says. Only the cross has the power to kill this kingdom. And isn't it incredible that there's something besides you right now, something right now at work besides you killing sin in your life? The cross. Jesus' spirit is now yours. Look, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. We see this. No law can produce this. No work can produce this. No self-activation can achieve this. So Jesus says you belong to me, learn to build your messy life around Jesus and his, salva- his salvation. Trust the work of the Spirit. There's something besides you, another power at work, healing you, reviving you, putting you back together again. The Spirit. So all that's Jesus's is now yours. His cross, his Spirit. One kills, one makes alive. Amen.